0: Let's hear God's word once again. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verse 28. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour... No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Watch. Amen. We'll end our reading there at the end of Mark chapter 13. Let's once again ask for God's help in prayer. Our gracious God, we would remember the Lair family this morning in their bereavement. We pray that you would draw near to them and comfort them, strengthen their hearts, Lord, and give them a glorious hope of resurrection that will sustain their hearts in the sorrow that they are experiencing. We pray for ourselves also, Lord, as we come to your word. We ask that you would open minds and hearts that we might understand the message accurately, that we might receive it. And, O Lord, may we know that it is worthwhile to stay awake, to be self-controlled and alert for the sake of the glorious Savior we return, we, we serve, and that we might not in any way be caught unprepared at his return. In his name we pray these things. Amen. As we come to the end of Mark chapter 13, I think it's fair to say that there is a change of subject. When we read in chapter 32, but of, another way to translate those two words would be now concerning. And now concerning definitely sounds like you're changing subjects a little bit. But we're not left just to that. You remember the Lord Jesus has been talking about in those days after that tribulation, as he says in verse 24. But here at the beginning of verse 32, he says, of that day, not multiple days now, but of that day, indeed, he even narrows it down further, of that hour. And so our approach to the end of Mark chapter 13 is to say that the subject has changed a little bit. The disciples had asked Jesus about the destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem, and he'd given them an answer. He hadn't told them exactly when it would happen, but he'd given them a time frame, this generation. He told them what would lead up to it. And now, because because a judgment like the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the Temple are hints, are indications, are anticipations of the final judgment, he now takes a giant step forward to his second coming. But he makes a contrast. Of those days, there are signs you can learn from the fig tree when it's getting close. But of that day, of that hour, no one knows except for the Father. You see the contrast there. You see that these are not the same subject. They're related subjects, but they're not the same subject. And I emphasize that because many people have the tendency to read this chapter as though it only talked about one thing, as though it talked about the return of Christ at the end of the world and the troubles leading up to that. And I think that that is somewhat inaccurate, and I think that that will lead us a little bit astray if we look at the chapter in that light. So let's notice the change of subject. All right, now that we're clear, what is our subject? Well, Jesus is now telling his disciples about when he comes back. He's telling them about the end of the world. Now, before you get too excited and think, okay, now we're going to figure out how to tell that it's almost here. No, he specifically says no one knows. He even denies that he knows. The angels don't know. So are you going to know the day of Christ's return? Well, you'll know when it happens. But until it happens, you are not going to know. Every attempt to set a date for this is unbiblical, is misguided. Many of you may have seen a book called 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1988. Guess what? We're no longer in 1988. We are here in 2023, and Christ did not come back in 1988. Now, that's one example, and I pick on that one because of the title more than anything. There have been many other attempts to fix a date for Christ's return, but he specifically says, no one knows. Why? Why does no one know? Well, God knows. God has already set the date. But why has God not chosen to share that information? Well, I think you have it in the key word of our passage. Again and again, we are told to watch verse 33 take heed watch and pray for you do not know when the time is or then again at the end of verse 34 in the little parable he commanded the doorkeeper to watch and the very next words verse 35 watch therefore verse 37 what i say to you i say to all watch if we're missing the big call of this passage we're not reading very carefully what does god want from us in light of the fact that Christ will return. He wants us to watch. He wants us to be awake. He wants us to keep this in mind, not to get distracted, not to get sleepy, not to forget about this great truth. So let's pause here for a second and just raise the question. Do you live in the light of the truth that Christ will return? Is your whole life characterized as a servant whose master has gone away and has said, I'm coming back. Make sure everything is ready for me. That's what the parable is talking about. Is that how we live? Do we live in the expectation that this world, its system, how things work here, is going to undergo a radical change at an unknown moment? Or are we like the wicked In the Psalms, the ones whose inward thought is that their houses will continue forever. They think there will never be any change. In the times of the New Testament already, when 2 Peter was written, there were people who were scoffing, who were saying, Oh, Jesus is never going to come back. That ship has sailed. They were already saying, Where's the promise of his coming? Well, sometimes we feel that way. I mean, it's been 2,000 years, and we're still waiting but that's the question, are we still waiting or have we given up? Do we say in our hearts, he's never coming back or you know, maybe he'll come back, but it'll be past time for me to worry about it. We don't know the day or hour so that we will watch, so that we will take heed, so that we will stay awake. Now in passing, there's an interesting feature of this text that we need to just touch on briefly. This is unique to Mark, but Mark says that the son does not know that day and that hour. And, of course, we have questions about that. We scratch our heads over that a little bit. Well, we saw it in our catechism this morning. We had the basic answer there. We need one who is true man and also true God. You have it again, of course, a little later on in the catechism in question 48, Christ is true God and true man. Now, we've got to slow down here. and We've got to think this through carefully. So kids, can your brain hold all the information there is? No, it can't. Your brain can hold a lot of information, but it can't hold all the information there is. So that's point number one, human brains cannot hold all the information. Point number two, did Jesus have a genuinely human brain? I hope you know the answer to that one. The answer to that one is, boy, I'm waiting for some kid to get this right. The answer to this is? Yes, yes. thank you, all right, very good. So human brains cannot hold all information Jesus had a truly human brain. You know what that means? The third point then, in Jesus's human brain, there was not all information. If we try to say something different than that, we're basically denying that he was really human. Now, Jesus's human brain had a lot of information. He was very well acquainted with the scriptures of the Old Testament, for instance, and he knew a lot of things beyond that And of course, because he's also God, the son, a lot of information that we don't have was present to him. But according to his human nature, he did not know the day or the hour of his return. That was something that God had not revealed to Jesus, at least at this point in history. Now, this is hard for us to wrap our minds around because none of us, have a divine nature and a human nature joined in one person. That's absolutely unique to Jesus. We're not going to be able to figure out what this feels like because we're not in that same situation. But it is still true that Jesus, as a true human being, subject to limitations, could not have all information in his human nature, in his human brain. And so this was something that was unknown to him. As God, of course, yes, he knows. But that bit of information had not made it over into his human brain. Now, if that bit of information had not been given to Jesus, do you really think it's going to be given to us? Well, we know the answer to that. And so all that we can do is to watch, to pray, to take heed. Because we don't know and we're not going to know what the time is. So then Jesus illustrates that with this little parable. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. And he says it could be in the evening, it could be at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, in the morning. Those were the watches into which the Romans Divided the night, each one was about three hours long, and so, of course, you had 12 hours total, and different people would take turns keeping awake. Whenever you have a military installation or something like that, there's somebody who's on duty, there's somebody who's on watch, and you rotate them frequently, you take them on and off duty so that nobody gets too worn out, so that nobody becomes careless, so that nobody fails to pay attention. If you want 24-hour security, well, you want your security to be awake all 24 hours, and so you've got to rotate in different shifts so that people can not just be awake, but be awake and alert. Now, we're supposed to be watching for Christ's return. We're not supposed to doze off. We're not supposed to get comfortable and say, you know what? This is going to be a while. That's the whole point. We don't know that it's going to be a while. We need to be alert right now. What is this talking about? Is Jesus saying it's bad to sleep? No, he slept in the back of the boat. He doesn't have a problem with sleeping. So, what is it about? Well, it's about spiritual watchfulness, it's about remembering. We live in a world that is already under judgment. We live in a world where all we're waiting for is the arrival of the judge for sentencing to happen. We live in a world where this whole system has already been condemned. It's been tried and found inadequate. If you have any questions about that, please just go back to Ecclesiastes. We consider that at length from that book. So how do we live watchfully? Well, we resist any idea that this world is all there is. We resist any idea that this world is what we're living for. We resist any idea that says things will always be the way they are now. That's what the scoffers said. They said, from the beginning of the world until now, everything continues just the same. Nothing ever changes. Well, until it does. Until Christ does come back. So we need to live in an awareness. Our situation is temporary. There's a parable in the Gospel of Luke about an unjust steward who was not taking good care of his master's goods, and the master fires him. And the unjust steward figures out a way where he won't be reduced to poverty in spite of having been fired in disgrace. There's a sermon on that passage that I like. It starts off with a line, we have all been fired. We're all living on borrowed time. That's part of watchfulness. We don't settle down, we don't think this is the way things are and this is okay. We understand that a tremendous change is coming. It doesn't mean we have to be bad at living in this world, like we have to be incompetent at navigating life. But it does mean that this is not what we're living for. We have a higher goal, we have a better aim, we have a brighter Now, in the idea of watchfulness, there is an idea of effort. What happens? Well, if you sit down and you're just sitting there and just not doing much of anything, a lot of us tend to drift off to sleep. Not everybody, but a lot of people will have a tendency to take a nap that was unplanned. It requires effort to stay awake. We're constantly being lulled to sleep by tiredness, by the unchanging pattern of the days, by the boredom of how things keep going on the way they were, or just because we get used to it and now we feel comfortable, now we settle down. But Christ calls on us over and over in this passage as well as in many others to keep awake, to be vigilant, not to get comfortable. So there's going to be an awareness of a big change coming There's got to be effort in order to be awake. Now, in this passage, the watchfulness is primarily about the return of Christ. In other passages, like in 1 Peter chapter 5, the admonition is to be vigilant, to be sober, to be self-controlled and alert. Not so much because Christ is coming back in that passage, but because your enemy, the devil, as a roaring lion, is walking about seeking whom he may devour. In other words, we have more than one reason to be watchful. We don't want to be caught napping when Christ returns, but we also don't want to plunge into danger because we were not on guard. So that's the idea. Why do you have people watching? Well, you have people watching to keep time. You have people watching to monitor situations, but you also have people watching so that they can sound the alarm if danger is coming. And we need to be watchful for ourselves. Other people can't necessarily see the coldness of heart that creeps across us. Other people can't necessarily see the parasites eroding our faith as we don't pay attention. Other people can't necessarily tell that our zeal has slackened. I mean, at some point it becomes obvious, but it doesn't become obvious when it first starts to happen. So we need to keep a watch on ourselves. We need to make sure that our faith, our hope, our love are in exercise. They're getting used. They're not just sitting around getting rusty and useless. But because we're using them, because we're actively trusting God, because we're actually praying, because we're seeking the Lord, those graces remain vigorous and strong. You need exercise in order to keep your muscles strong. Well, your graces need exercise. They need to be used in order to remain strong. So prayerfulness includes effort. It includes an awareness that things are going to change. It includes monitoring ourselves, our own situation, not letting ourselves drift. But of course, there's one more element which Christ specifically calls out when he says, take heed, watch, And pray. How will you know if you're not watching? Because your prayer life will suffer. That's one place where it will show up. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ called on his disciples to watch, to stay awake and pray with him for one hour. They didn't pray, they fell asleep. Watching and prayer are associated. How do we stay alert for Christ's return? We pray, we take the church directory and we pray for the people who are in it. We think about their needs, we ask God to bless them in the specific ways that they need. Now that's intercessory prayer, there's other kinds of prayer. We pray for ourselves, we confess our sin, we seek God's mercy. But don't let a lack of prayer erode your watchfulness. Don't let prayer get pushed to the edges. Don't let prayer always be the last thing you do. Don't let prayer be the thing that you do when, okay, now I've got all my real work done. It's easy to do that, isn't it? Let's understand that prayer is not at the very end okay. You know, sometimes this happens, like you can use the illustration of a meal. We usually pray before we eat. So all the food gets prepared and, Served on the table, it's out there, people are ready to dish it up, now we pray. That's fine, that's the moment when people are all together, you know, and they can join their hearts in prayer. But we don't want to be like that with everything that we do, where it's only at the end. Imagine if we prayed about the sermon only after it was over, and not for the preparation, not for the delivery of it, not at the beginning of it. You're leaving prayer as though it were just an attachment, just something you yeah, you could take or leave. It might be nice. Watching requires prayer. If we're not praying, no matter what else we're doing, we're not watching. The point is not to stay awake all night and never get any sleep and be anxious. The point is to be alert and attentive. And how do Christians do that? They pray about things. That's how. But we need to move on here. In conclusion, the Lord emphasizes, he underlines that great truth again. What I say to you, I say to all. In other words, this was not just for the disciples. This was not just for Peter and James and John. This was not just for the people who would be around when Jerusalem was destroyed. It's broadened out. Mark has organized this so that we don't just overhear Jesus speaking to the disciples, but so that we hear Jesus speaking directly to us. This is our responsibility as well. Is it true of you that you don't know the day or hour when Christ is coming back? Then it's your responsibility to watch. Has he gone away and given you authority to do your work? Then it's your responsibility to watch. Do you want to be found napping when Christ returns? Or do you want to be found faithful when he returns? Then it's your responsibility to watch. And let me highlight the importance of that from the parable. He gave authority to his servants to each his work. He commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Now, in the parable, there was one servant whose special task was to keep the lookout for his master. But of course, Christ broadens that. We're all responsible to do that for ourselves. What I say to you, I say to all, watch. But there's also embedded in the parable then the idea that we each have, in addition to the responsibility to watch, we each have our own work. He gave authority to his servants and to each his work. Well, God has also given to us authority, Authority means the power, the freedom to act within an area of responsibility. That's what it means. Each one of us has a slightly different area, a slightly different sphere, a slightly different task. Some are called upon to serve God in one way. Some are called upon to serve God in another. Some are called to serve Christ by devoting themselves to the preaching of the gospel. And others are called to serve God by being a keeper at home. All of us have the responsibility to watch, and all of us have the responsibility to do our work, whatever that work is, for the Lord. So we could say this to the kids, when Christ returns, do you want him to find you faithfully discharging your responsibilities or blowing off your homework because it's not very fun? Well, that is your work. That is what you have been given to do. To any of us, do we want Christ to find us kind of on the bad list at work because we're idle, we're late, we're not conscientious, we're careless about our work? Or do we want him to find us working hard for the Lord? With regard to our families, are we careless? Are we indifferent? Do we let things slide? Or do we watch? Do we pray? Do we address the situations? that arise with regard to the church do we want to be found faithful do we want to be able to give a good account of the use that we made of the means of grace that god put in our grasp or do we want to be caught napping do we want to the lord to say to us so i gave you all of this stuff but you didn't make very much use of it how is it with our bibles are they Thumbed? Are they well used? Are they clearly trafficked? Do they fall open to the passages you've been studying? Or does your Bible still seem like it's brand new? There's many different ways that you... I'm raising certain questions just so that you can think of your own life, so that you can ask yourself these questions. Is your life characterized by watching by this Christian watching, that includes prayer. But on a happier note, to bring things to a conclusion, what this means is that we've not been left on our own. Life is hard. There are ups and downs. There are days that are very busy and it's hard to find time to pray. It's hard to watch sometimes. And other days are so relaxing maybe we don't watch. But, We haven't been left alone. Jesus didn't go away and say, okay, you're on your own now. He is coming back. I don't want you to walk out of here and thinking, boy, Reuben really wants me to be afraid of when Jesus comes back. I want you to take that responsibility seriously. But I also want you to look forward to it. I want you to watch and pray joyfully because we're anticipating something wonderful. We're anticipating the return of the Son of Man. Things are going to change. It's not always going to be the way it is now. It's not always just going to be this round, whether it's a boredom or whether it's of difficulty or however you're experiencing life right now. A big change is coming. A big change is coming with The Lord Jesus. And so we can be encouraged to watch and pray. Because this one who gathers his elect, this one whose word endures forever, this one who is the master of the house is coming back. He's bringing a reward with him. We will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. He does have crowns to distribute, he does have commendations to give out. In fact, there's another parable where we're told that he girds himself and serves his servants. He welcomes us to the marriage feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So brothers and sisters, watch. Take that responsibility seriously, but watch joyfully because Jesus is coming again. That's our great hope. That's our comfort and sorrow. That's something that not all the boredom, not all the repetitiveness, not all the difficulty and pain and sorrow of this world can ever change or take away. Jesus is coming again. Amen.